You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. This week, the government has tabled an amendment to remove maximum pricing from the health and social care bill. This is hailed as a victory by opponents of the bill, as the balance of evidence shows that competition on price leads to lower quality services and worse health outcomes. We convened a roundtable discussion to find out what other elements of the bill need re-examining. Joining us in the studio at BMA House were John Black, President of the Royal College of Surgeons, Claire Gerarda, Chairman of the Royal College of GPs, Michelle Drage, Chief Executive of London-wide LMCs, Nigel Edwards, Acting Chief Executive of the NHS Confederation, and finally Anna Dixon, Director of Policy at the King's Fund. They discussed a wide range of topics covering all aspects of the reforms, from how they will affect public perception of GPs to how training can be done under any willing provider. The discussion went on for over an hour, so this is just an edited summary. The full version is published online too. You can hear it at bmj.com forward slash podcasts. And there's also a feature summarising the discussion and a full transcript on bmj.com. One of the areas discussed was wider public health. Anna Dixon of the King's Fund first. This white paper and this bill, the Health and Social Care Bill, signals some very significant changes for public health, particularly the move to put uh, some public health responsibilities and directors of public health within local authorities. And it isn't clear to us how we will ensure that the NHS and GP Commissioning Consortia take seriously their public health uh, duties and how it will be possible to link that population view that the Health and Wellbeing Board will take through their joint strategic needs assessment to the commissioning plans. And I don't think the bill is strong enough in the way it expects GP consortia to work with health and wellbeing boards. So I think there is a real danger that things locally will not be joined up and that accountability for public health will not be strong enough. Claire Gerarda from the RCGP echoed her concerns. We had an announcement last week that we've seen the lowest teenage pregnancy rate for 30 years. And I think that's a testament to public health and the leadership of public health and joined up across health and social care. And I do worry that in the new scheme of things, we wouldn't be able to do that. We wouldn't be able to have a concerted effort around one of the major public health and health inequality issues that faced us in this country. The same with, with, with uh, young people and, and, and STIs, and the same with HIV. How and where, I mean, whether someone says, well, that's going to sit in Public Health England, but how is it going to happen? How will that then be translated down? Because if we leave it just to local consortia or even local health and wellbeing boards, there's not going to be enough buy-in, there's not going to be enough resources, there's not going to be enough expertise. I, I, I just am concerned. And in terms of health inequalities specifically, um, I think the uh, there is a, a, a clause within the sort of... Um, uh, bill that the NHS commissioning board and and consortia you might remember the wording of it Nigel but it is around inequalities but it's very much around inequalities in access to health services it's It's very narrow to health care and so there does again remain this question about who in the system is is really responsible for tackling health inequalities and uh, the incentives on local authorities in regard to reducing health inequalities are looking very very weak and although there is a public health outcomes framework which applies to local authorities, it comes back to this earlier point about it really relies on transparency. The idea is you just publish this information and somehow local people will use this information to hold the local authority to account for whether 
they're delivering these health outcomes. But the idea that somehow we can get rid of public accountability or any accountability and replace that just with transparency and that the accountability only comes through local people getting excited about what's on a website. The worst inequality is have such high population churn uh, that it's, that, they probably that, won't appear in yeah. the numbers. Yeah. They probably won't appear in the numbers. So that's, I think, a real concern: is that uh, that that the that the there isn't really a home or a responsibility for health inequalities. I don't think. Nigel Edwards from the NHS Confederation coming in at the end there. One of the ways in which the bill aims to improve healthcare is through increased transparency which is also essential to allow GP commissioning groups to make the right choice of supplier. Michelle Drage from the London Wide LMC starts with an idea of how to simplify that and Nigel Edwards on the difficulty of measurement. One of the biggest uh, bugbears for, for, for GPs who have been involved in practice-based commissioning is their inability to get into the nitty-gritty of the data and the behaviours of our very powerful and often predatory foundation trusts and teaching hospitals. Um, And coding inspectorates would be a good thing, in my view. Uh, It wouldn't take much money, a bit like um, like, uh, customs and excise. But actually having a clear understanding of what's really being coded might save far more money than the microscopic approach that is being encouraged through the bill. Data is one of the key improvements. Part of the better this set of reforms is that much more data availability will drive improvement. I, I, I do incidentally think uh, that Andrew Lanza has massively underestimated how difficult it is to get outcomes data that will actually achieve that. I mean, when you look at the difficulty we've had even agreeing on a methodology for calculating a hospital standardised mortality rate, which you would have thought as a binary variable uh, might be one that uh, one, one, one could agree with. Um, uh, but it isn't just data on the provider side that's the issue we'll also need to ensure that now we will be moving away from geography necessarily as the uh, method for looking at populations we'll need to ensure that we've got accurate population denominators in general practice as well that will be important and in surgery there's plenty of evidence that if you measure outcomes and feed those outcomes back to the providers uh, results do improve and the classic example is of course cardiac surgery For 10 years, every cardiac surgeon in the country has been collecting their results. And as a result, we now have outstanding results by European and worldwide services. I I heard Hamish Meldrum say at lunchtime today that doctors are not frightened of competing on results. They want to know their results and they want to get better. And if the commissioning process uh, was to include compulsory measurement of outcomes, I'm sure that would put standards up. The trouble is it's easy in certain areas, surgery with a mortality is the classic, and it's easy, relatively easy in surgery, but it's very difficult in other areas. But I think there's no doubt if it was a compulsory part of the commissioning process that there had to be proper measurement of outcomes, that in itself would slowly improve patient standards. John Black from the Royal College of Surgeons there on outcomes in surgery. One way healthcare outcomes, patient satisfactions and cost savings, etc. can be improved is through integrated care, making sure that all parts of the system are working in tandem to provide the best support to a patient. There has been concern that these reforms, by making GPs the ones who commission services from secondary care, will drive a wedge between the two areas of practice. Our panel had a fairly heated discussion on how to get primary and secondary care working together. Claire Girarda starts. 
Wales and I think, Anna, my worry is, and I, I go up and down the country and I hear so many commissioning consortia, embryonic ones, saying, right, we're now going to move MSK, musculoskeletal services, COPD, diabetes... And again, it's it's talking about people as if they, they just have one single problem. And I think if we're going to go down that way, you know, exactly as Michelle says, I think we're just going to end up with, with something that we've always had. I always worry that, in fact, and again, I'm being parochial here, if we invested in general practice, i.e. use some of the, the, the commissioning leverage to, to, to invest in general practice, to invest that we actually have more time with our patients as opposed to 10 minutes, we know that where you have strong general practice, you have better health outcomes, more preventative care, and you get value for money. But it's also simplistic. Uh, it's much more simplistic than, say, for example, investing in a cyber knife. And, and actually... You know, I think that might be the way forward and hopefully something that I would see that Commissioning Consortium would do as they mature and are able to make serious decisions. General practice on its own, without specialist input. Of specialist uh, input. Well, so maybe we've missed a trick here because we've, we're very stuck in this country in the division between uh, secondary and primary mm-hmm. care. I think we've, kind of, we've raised what is really a charging structure that predates the NHS into a kind of nostrum of policy. And it's not one that's recognised in other countries. And, and, you know, if you do look at the impact statement, if you do look at the... Inform- and it's highly contested because if you've seen uh, Twitter and other places, people are, uh, are worried about this data. But it does seem that we don't do very well on a number of conditions which are amenable to ambulatory care interventions. Our admission rates for things where general practice ought to make a difference are not as good as they should. Um, and there does seem to be some evidence, I think, uh, coming shortly that shows that um, gatekeeper systems are pretty poor at the care of uh, uh, complex children, for example, and our outcomes and Dutch outcomes uh, don't seem to compare. But, um, they would be, but, Nigel. They I would be, would. because Claire's point is mm. absolutely right. So, we don't have long enough well, to deal with the it's not. T- I'm not sure it's time. I think that the point is... It is, is it, time. Is it, whenever I hear the commission it's debate, it resorts yeah. to, to hospitals and things. And you're absolutely right. Well, it, I, I think, think we... Should, if all you do is, 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 is take general practice and give you a bit more time, it seems to me we're, we're doing no, a huge reform for... Right. So, 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 but I'm, well, I mean, I think you're still perpetuating the fact that we've got medicalologists sitting over somewhere else who in other healthcare systems seem to do better on a number of these outcomes um, are part of the general are part of the primary care system rather than the secondary care system so and do you think this uh, bill is, could provide a way of um, bringing better vertical integration into I think the service? this bill does not provide enough uh, scope right. for better inter- what more vertical could it integration do? well I, I think there's a, there's a if i had my magic wand i would be uh, allowing in this bill uh, much more uh, much more experimentation. Uh, uh, I mean, Michelle's worried about the size of the field. I would be allowing people to actually play a slightly different game in the, in the way that the Obama legislation allows for demonstration projects. So if you have a particular geography or a particular issue, that you would be able to adapt uh, elements of the model um, and, and you, submit, you get a five-year contract to do that and you have to submit yourself to some rigorous external health service research and economics evaluation and you, you demonstrate that you can do something differently... And I would use that as a model uh, to do demonstration projects to drive more primary, secondary... Into, in, well, it's fascinating, uh, uh, this, because actually uh, we don't disagree on, on, on the integration. Where I think we disagree is on whether it's horizontal or vertical. Now, I, I, these could end up with the same well, I think that's a bit of a... That's kind of, well, it's not, uh, Nigel, It's a sort of semantics, because I'm not, not sure what you mean by horizontal or vertical. But, it's um, a matter of... It's exactly fundamental. If you have vertical integration as 
the Imperial model might deliver or, or as you might be discussing, what you end up with, in my view and in the view of most of the colleagues I represent, is consultant and hospital behaviour driven um, outcome. The evidence seems to suggest that it, you get better results if you grow integration outwards from primary care rather yeah, than... Yeah, and uh, vertical yeah. puts primary care at the bottom of the tree and, and secondary care at the top and the diff there's a huge difference between that model and flat commissioning where you have everyone on the same wavelength everyone actually looks at the broad picture rather than the narrow picture and these things matter the words do matter but so do the behaviors that follow them and i think claire's point was not so much about whether it's 10 minutes 11 minutes or 12 minutes it's about the complexity of what you're faced with in general practice and so we're not really saying yeah. different things yeah. but actually there is a minimum level that you and I will know as GPs that you need to be able to manage things. And if you get that time right or that complexity management right, you reduce your referrals and stop people going to A&E, which is part of the problem. I think fundamentally we all agree that the complexity of healthcare means that actually to deliver high quality, high value care, we need team working and those teams need to consist of a range of generalists and specialist skills and so on. I think what what I think is very challenging about this bill and its, uh, it's focus on commissioning is that, um, and even the, the focus that many of us have said about the engagement of others in commissioning, that's all well and good, but actually we need to put as a key test of this bill, will it make that sort of integrated team working, whether it between primary and secondary specialists with some of those people working more collaboratively into the community, as, as you describe, which I agree with, you don't want a hospital takeover of primary care, will it deliver that? And I think there's a real worry that it won't. Perhaps we could just, uh, just scroll back a bit. One of the other areas we talked about was how you, what shapes provide a service and the fact that the getting a grip on, on areas like in, into um, intermediate-sized care. And it's something that you brought up, yep. John Black. Um, perhaps you could expand on your views there. Well, it, it's the f just the fact that certain services have to be commissioned on a certain population base because of lack of expertise on any smaller you unit. lack of GP expertise in this area? Yes, uh, well, like uh, no, I'm not concerned. It's just a fact that the GPs don't see enough of those patients to have uh, any pers much personal experience. So, I mean, if you're working in hospital practice, uh, I saw patients with breast cancer all my life, and I think breast cancers, you know, they're about six every day would arrive in your practice. But in GP practice, they only at any one time have a surprisingly small number. And you look at the numerous diseases that you need the magic number. And there is international data that five million is quite a convenient commissioning unit for these intermediate services. That's where the NHS commissioning board comes in then. Well, of course it is. Mm. But it, as it is, if that's set up centrally, it's going to be taken over a lot of commissioning functions from SHAs. I totally agree with, with, with the, 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 the um, analysis. And actually, I think it's a flaw in, in, in the bill. I, I, I actually think you're right. The intermediate services need super, as I said before, super consortia commissioning, but I think they still need to be done by the same group of people. So yep. immediately start bringing in a new tier. Yeah. Um, you don't need a which be, bureaucracy to I do it. There are other ways of doing it. The same is training. Set. But there's other ways yeah. of you doing different it. Different expertise within the commissioning process that well, you can well, pull in. Well, cancer networks, actually, some of them have worked very well. So you say, we're spending this amount of money on cancer, and you ask the cancer network to take responsibility for the management of uh, this list of but cancers you could set for this standard, list of patients. National standards um, for, a, for a cancer network for such and such a population isn't that difficult to lay down uh, without having, as I say, a bureaucracy in each area. 
because they're much the issues are much the same. And cancers are very interesting because that is the one area where there has been centralisation, there has been virtual complete removal of choice from the patients. They're fed into the system and they work their way through it and that is the area where results are improving. And you give them responsibility for the expensive monoclonals that at the moment we have this odd bureaucratic system of, of, of panels. You, you give them the complete budgetary responsibility and you make, them, you make them accountable to the GP consortia. So the difference between the old regional bureaucracy, which was accountable upwards in this model, was it would be, be accountable for the management of those patients that belong to the consortia. So you've immediately sort of changed that power dynamic and you've also put, got the decision on the use of the prescription of high-cost drugs with the people who actually understand the risk and benefits of, of um, you know, Avastin versus um, uh, uh, palliative care versus... This is a public education, by which I mean politician, politician education issue that to improve standards in cancer. First of all, you look at screening where it works, which is not that common. Early diagnosis, surgery, pathology, radiotherapy, where do drugs come? Joint sixth. You've, you've, you've solved the drugs problem, and you also, by basing yeah. it on networks, you probably reduce the number of postcode lotteries you've got, yes. um, and you've got a rational basis for it because it's the oncologists making the decision, and it takes them off the television screens, which would be good. Um, which would be good, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I don't think GPs will be saying, hey, wait a minute, we wanted this, because no, no. those sorts of decisions are not ones that, you know... Uh, GPs actually can be very much more sensible over the cancer yeah. drug system. Yeah, the, the three more weeks in the hospice drug would cost a million quid. I mean, it's ludicrous. So, a call to arms for providers there. Greater innovation and greater integration. The bill is going through Parliament now. The BMA has called for important amendments and there are rumbling from the Lib Dem party conference that they'll mount a concerted opposition. So the future of this bill and the NHS isn't set in stone. I'll leave Anna Dixon with the last word. I mean, my reflection on the discussion um, and has been one of the issues for us in in debating uh, the bill uh, and discussing it has been that many of these things are not about the bill. They are to do with the interpretation of the bill, how the powers are used, and many of them will be left to guidance or indeed and just local determination well, and how yeah. how these actors in the system... Yeah. Uh, with these new responsibilities actually behave. Mm -hmm. And so many of the issues that we're concerned about are not things that can necessarily be addressed directly in the bill. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com. <laughs>